Welcome to Let's Talk Death, conversations to inform and inspire. Let's Talk Death is being brought to you by Heal Grief, a nonprofit providing the tools and resources to support one's journey with grief. We seek to empower individuals to achieve a healthy post-bereavement growth. Everything we do is inspired by our core belief that no one should ever grieve alone. Let's Talk Death is a series of conversations with some amazing people from various fields. Our goal through these conversations is to normalize, educate, and demystify the taboo around death, dying, and the journey of grief. Hello, welcome to this episode of Let's Talk Death. I'm Fran Solomon. And I'm Andy McNeil. And we are thrilled to be your host for these conversations. Our guest today is John Byrne Berry. John is a writer, designer, actor, pickleball player, and crossing guard. He is the author of When I Killed My Father, an assisted suicide family thriller, which is fiction, but is informed and inspired by his family's journey with their mother, who died in 2018 after 10 years of dementia. When I Killed My Father, his third novel, has been described as a page-turner with a conscience about a man caught between what is compassionate and what is legal. John, we are delighted to have you as a guest on our show. I'm thrilled to be here. John, before we speak about your novel, um, may we dive into your personal story that inspired it? Sure. As Andy just said, uh, it was my mother's dementia that brought me into this world. Of, uh, previous to that, I'd been like so many people, relatively not impacted by death in the way that someone like you, Andy, who's, who's been a bereavement counselor for all these years. So when my mom got, uh, you know, it was a progressive, progressive thing. We had an in-home caregiver. I have uh, four siblings and I live in California. The rest lived in the Midwest, uh, some very near my mom, near where I grew up. In Chicago. And we had a pretty good situation in the sense that we communicated well. We didn't have a whole lot of conflict. And um, my mom's situation was not as bad as many people. We, the last couple of years of her life, she was in a nursing home and it was harder. Her dementia was further along. But, you know, we saw people in much worse situation. I mean, she was a talker. She would talk all the time, even if she didn't know what she was talking about. It reminded me sometimes of a two-year-old who just chatters away and chatters away. And, and in her own little universe. You know, I remember once, you know, I'd call up, so, so mom, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Oh, but there's a bear in my living room. And I just said, well, so what's the bear doing? Oh, sorting through the mail. Uh, you know, we, we learned to just go along with it. At any rate, somewhere along the way, um, I mean, there were hard, there were definitely hard times along the way. I'm just saying that compared to many people, we had a good situation. And, and I was already, had already written uh, several novels and I thought, well, what if there was a situation like this and there were, instead of good communication and a minimum of conflict, conflict, there was a lot of conflict because novels need conflict. And so that's where this idea came from. And there was never any situation in our life where, I mean, she had advanced care directive and, and uh, a do not resuscitate paper, but uh, that, never, that never came out. She lived to be 95. So she had a rich, rich life. So the idea of the story came from sort of an alternative universe from the one that I lived myself, where a brother and sister did not get along, where uh, the father, the father asked his son to help him end his life, a uh, pretty heavy ask. Um, but none of those things really happened. 
Yeah. Fortunately. Well, well, right. I mean, that, that is, it is fortunate. What, what's interesting though is, and, and obviously as a writer, you're aware of this fiction so often is a reflection of, of many of our realities mm-hmm. um, and realities that we all live. Um, certainly loss, um, death and dying, a relationship with, with, with mom or with dad or, or with one another. These are all common themes and they're themes right. that draw us to stories. You know, so you think about uh, some of those connections when it, when it comes to that. Um, many of the families that we have supported over the years, there is conflict within families. Yes, so your yes, family yes. was fortunate that you had those, that, that positive relationship. Now, maybe not conflict to the point of a thriller novel. Yeah. However, um, conflict uh, around death and dying is a, is a common theme among yeah. families. And I'm sure for some of our, our, our viewers and our listeners uh, for them as well. Well, you know, I, I, I did talk, in the process of writing the book and in the process of our family dealing with my mom's dementia did talk with a lot of other people later in the process. I talked with people like yourself, uh, hospice counselors, palliative care doctors, uh, even a number of people who, who had participated in something like what happened in my book. Um, actually, let me just tell you, this is, this is one of the most fascinating things. It took a long time to write the book four or five years, but I would tell people it, gatherings what i was writing about remember remember gatherings we used to have back in person you know large large groups of people talking in a room uh um, uh, so i i remember asking you know telling people what i was doing and i'm not exaggerating here at least a dozen people told me something to the effect of oh yeah i helped my mother die or one person said yeah who was a doctor she said yeah i i actually helped both my parents die now I don't know how true all these things are, and I just have the anecdotal evidence, but I was surprised to find that something that was really not talked about that much was, in fact, happening more often than I expected anyway. I'm not not, um, advocating for it or supporting it. I'm just saying that it's a reality that that those type of situations do come up, and sometimes children, uh, parents, are put in a situation of, uh, that's what that's what he or she wants. Yeah. Well, and you and you make the point too that, uh, and we found this to be true in our society. We don't talk about those things that often. We don't talk about death and dying. Interestingly enough, though, we do have a lot of fiction. We have fiction writing. We have a lot of movies that are themed around these things. So mm-hmm. it, it's interesting how we're almost we're almost afraid of the subject when it comes to talking about it, but we're fascinated by it. When it comes to our art, uh, whether it's writing or uh, or movies or or other expressive music, um, we we deal with it there. Yeah, but yeah. not so well in conversation. But it is interesting that people were were enthralled by your yeah. subject matter. I have yeah. a question though, but but is is helping my person transition? Does that necessarily imply it wasn't by comfort? I don't know, but I, I mean, I got the impression because I, I I said that I was writing an assisted suicide family thriller. I got the impression that it was a step beyond that, but I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Actually, yeah. I do know um, about one person whose story wasn't about helping as much as uh, I told her this story. I told her this story. This is after my mom had died. And she, she said to me, oh, well, uh, my mom just killed herself a few weeks ago. And But it wasn't like it was... 
she made a plan and maybe somebody helped, maybe didn't. I actually interviewed her and, and it was going to post it on my website. And she said, no, please don't. Yeah, uh, it's, it, uh, maybe, it, maybe someday. But, but, but this was a situation where my friend said, yeah, I talked, I talked to my mom the night before. She says, um, the plan is tomorrow. But she had stashed away pills and things like that. She had someone who was going to come by later. And so it was all planned out like that. Anyway, I, I was not used to, like you folks are, having these kind of conversations. And um, I do think it's really important. But I think a lot of people, including myself in the past, are uncomfortable with these subjects. And part of the reason I wrote the book is because I think it is important to talk about these things. And maybe if you write it, write it as fiction with, a, you know, some humor here and there that it might become a little more, more accessible. That's the hope. It also really emphasizes the need for end of life wishes. You know, yes. what is, what is, what, what are our intentions as individuals or, or the way we want to transition out of this world? You know, right. some right. are, are, are dealing with suffering beyond what we can understand. Um, others may not have um, their their mental capacity to make decisions, and and how does that leave them and family members? Um, but I do have a question. So many individuals are faced with these end of life decisions for family they care for. Um, yet your personal story in your fictional version precedes one's final days. Do you see them any different? And what I mean by that is, you know, a natural end of life where someone is aged and old and dying versus someone with a, um, a, a, a disease that may be very young and facing those challenges of pain and deterioration? I'm not sure I'm the best person to answer that question. My dad died of cancer in his 60s, so I'm older than him now. And um, if we knew, in retrospect, how much difficulty these last two, his last two years where he got liver cancer, and for some reason, again, probably denial of death, we didn't really grasp how uh, fatal what he had was. But uh, he went back and forth, multiple rounds of chemo, back and forth in the hospital. And if, if we knew what we knew, knew afterwards, we would have said just he died in the hospital as opposed to at home. And, uh, and there was a lot of pain and a lot of anguish for everybody. And I mean, as I said, he was 63 years old. So it would have been pretty hard to say, oh, yeah, just accept this. But it might have been better for all concerned. And, and maybe someday we'll get to a place where we can do more of that. But there was always a chance that something like that could be cured. A small chance, but enough of a yes. chance that, that it wasn't even considered. It wasn't even considered. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, one of the things I'm very encouraged by in, in the research I've done is just the, the way palliative care has become more common and the idea that, okay, someone is sick, we're not going to... Um, try to make them die sooner, but we're not going to prevent them from dying. And we're just going to make them feel more comfortable along the way. I certainly would like that if I'm in this, that situation. Um, I don't want uh, superhuman surgery if I'm 94 years old and I've already lived a long life and, and I'm sick. I don't want that. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot right. of people don't, but I know many people, you, you know, probably the statistics better than I do, don't have that written down anywhere, haven't shared their wishes with anyone, et cetera. So at least I've done I've done that actually in process of my research I found do you know who Katie Butler is the art of dying yes yeah mm -hmm. anyway she lives in the in the middle valley where I live and she's got a checklist of all these things you can check off for your 
end of life wishes. And I, I copied that from her. I mean, she shared it freely. Um, so uh, I have that, that list. It's a long list. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's it, it is interesting. I, I don't know the statistic off the top of my head now. Uh, it's been a number of years since I, I ran a, a program for a hospice, but but it, it is still very high. Uh, mm-hmm. The number of people who who do not have their wishes um, written or communicated to uh, to to anyone. And, we, you know, we talk about family conflict quite often. Conflict comes from family not knowing fully the wishes or multiple members having different ideas about what the person's wishes are. And that, you know, in and of itself can create some of that conflict. So uh, certainly preparation is is an important piece. Again, it sort of goes against our human drive to survive Mm -hmm. to to begin planning our 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 death. And so it's I think I think there's this this um, interesting place that many people find themselves that we're aware that we are finite, but we we don't want to go there. You know, that's for I'll do that tomorrow. Uh, and we and we put it off uh, quite often. So but we can well, never I think we can never put the message out enough that it's important to plan. Let's Talk Death is being brought to you by Heal Grief, a 501c3. As a nonprofit, we are reliant on the kind generosity of our donors. If you are inspired by our mission, we ask you to go to healgrief.org backslash donations to help us continue our great work. No gift is too small. When I did my, uh, I did several book launch events. Uh, by the way, have you ever talked to anybody from Reimagine End of Life? Do you know that organization? I've heard of it. I'm not familiar with it. Anyway, it, they did right when I was launching the book, right before the pandemic, they did a Bay Area wide week long event where hundreds of people did different kinds of events from uh, death cafes to uh, people talking about uh, advanced care directives, legal things, art, music, et cetera. And I did a few book launches as part of it. And one of the things I asked people toward the beginning, I said, how many people here, and this audience was primarily middle-aged people, how many people here have had a, have agreed that a substantive conversation about end of life would be a good idea to have with loved ones? And almost everybody raised their hand. And I said, well, how many of you have had one? And it was less than half. So, and again, this is in a, in a kind of place where probably higher than average number of people would do that. So a lot of people who think it's a good idea still haven't done it. And yeah, um, yeah. Uh, we were forced to do it and we had 10 years to talk about it. So yeah. it was different. We find with some of our community members, although they feel and believe um, with all good conscience that they have honored their person's end of life wishes, they are left with guilt. Does your fiction go into any of that? Yes. Let me just give you a quick uh, summary of the story. Uh, the protagonist is a man named Lamar Rose, who's a psychologist, and he actually has some experience as a, a hospice counselor because at one point in time in his life, he was be- befriended someone who was dying and he met a hospice person and someone said she said oh you should get the training so he already had this training and then and his father knew that and his father gets cancer and dementia but he's lucid enough that he knows he's losing his mind so he says to his son you know i want you to help me get out of here and his son you know refuses 
Uh, but the father keeps asking and sort of makes it out to be like, this is your, this is my, my final wish for you, the duty of the son, all that kind of stuff. So he, he does, he does it at his father's memorial from the pulpit in the front of the church. Lamar's sister accuses him of murder and it becomes a big public battle with TV cameras and, 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 and all sorts of stuff like that. And I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but <laughs> uh, what was the question again? If, if there's any guilt. Oh yeah. 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 But of course he feels guilty about it. Not just because not just, he doesn't feel guilty about what he did for his father. He feels guilty that he did it unilaterally without consulting with his sister because he knew she would not approve. And the father didn't talk to her about it because she wouldn't talk about it. She was one of those. We're not going to talk about this. We're not going to talk about this. So the story there, but the, the family was, was a brother and sister was one person who did not want to, you know, I don't want to talk about it. And the other person who did. So how can you have a conversation when one person won't talk about it? And the other is, but he still felt guilty because, you know, that's not something you should do. You shouldn't do something unilateral when your sister doesn't agree with it. So in many respects, he was guilty about not the act itself, but the fact that he did not consult his sister. And that was something he felt was legitimately, he should have legitimate guilt about. So yeah. uh, I'm not so, trying to say that he didn't have any guilt at all. He was worried about also getting caught. Um, yeah. So it is illegal yeah. to do these things. Yes. Yes. Do you know the uh, author, Amy Bloom, who's just written this book? You probably heard it. I heard her on the radio. She wrote a book called In Love about her husband, who they went to Switzerland to um, in his life. Uh, she He asked her a bunch of times. This this It's very much a similar story to what I did, except it's the husband as, a, as opposed to the father. And at one point she said, you know, this is illegal. I could go to jail. And apparently he said to her, oh, you're a very social person. You do fine in jail. <laughs> yeah. um, um, I don't know if it was just a joke or what, but it's. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, John, we actually um, we're coming up on the end of our time. But before we before we end, um, if people who are listening in to this particular episode uh, want to know how they can connect with you and with your work, uh, how might they do that? Well, I have a website, johnburnberry.com. And um, here's this is the book right here, When I Killed My Father. This is a suicide family thriller. Um, and I can also be reached by email, johnburnberry at gmail.com. But I want to mention one story. I wrote a book before this called Wasted uh, about a murder in a recycling yard. And one of my friends said, John, you know, you were born to write this book because your name, John Burnberry, Burn and Berry are two of the four ways you dispose of waste. And I thought, oh, that's pretty funny. And one of the, somebody in the audience said, uh, also, John is apparently a well-known way of disposing of waste as well, uh, John. Um, so, but the thing is that in terms of um, humans dying and being disposed of, burning and burying them are the two main ways we deal with them as well. So that's how you remember my name. <laughs> um, one of the things my character does uh, and Lamar Rose is tell stories. And I want to tell one of the stories, which I, I heard originally from Ram Das. I think it was on a podcast, actually. And it's uh, called Get in the Box. It's an old Chinese story uh, about a, an old farmer who's too old to work in the fields anymore. So he sits on the porch and watches his children and grandchildren work the farm. And one day his oldest child comes up to the porch dragging a wooden box. And he says, Father, we have too many mouths to feed. Get in the box. So the father climbs in the box, and the son puts the lid on and starts dragging the box across the field 
to the cliff at the edge of the farm. And then he hears this knock. It's, you know, the father from inside the box. He lifts up the lid and the father says, son, I understand what you're doing and why, but I have a suggestion. Why don't you just lift me out of the box and throw me over the cliff? That way the box will be there for you when your children need it. <laughs> I love that. Anyway, I have him tell that story. And, and, and uh, the reason I mention that is because some people have the assumption that a story like this is going to be morbid and dark and gloomy. And I'm not saying there aren't any moments of that, but it's, it, there's a lot of, there's a lightness to it as well, as well as a tiny bit of gallows humor. Actually, when my dad was dying, he was an English professor and we once brought a copy of William Faulkner's as I lay dying and gave it to him to, he was in a coma. We, he was in a coma for a long time. So we needed a little bit of humor to help us. John, where can someone um, purchase when I killed my father? Just to buy anywhere, you know, Amazon bookshop.org Barnes and Noble. It's not available in many bookstores, but you can go into any bookstore and, and get it and order it. Thank you so much. John, we, yeah, we want to thank you for being a guest here at Let's Talk Death and for sharing the story behind your fictional work. Well, I've enjoyed, I enjoyed my talking to you. Thank you very much. If you would like to learn more about Heal Grief, visit us at healgrief.org to find other conversations or to inquire about becoming a guest speaker. Visit us at healgrief.org backslash let's talk death. And if you feel inspired to support us, remember, no gift is too small. Visit us at healgrief.org backslash donations, or you can donate right through our homepage. Well, that's it until next time on Let's Talk Death, where we normalize, educate, and demystify the taboo around death, dying, and the journey of grief.